Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile. I'm Emily Howarth, Deputy Editor of Premier Youth and Children's Work. Today I'm joined by Tim Alford, former lead singer of Christian band Dweeb, now head of Limitless, the youth wing of the Elim Churches in the UK. Hello Tim. Hey, good to be here. Should we start at the beginning of, uh, of your life? Okay, that's a good place to start. How did you become a Christian? <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, my folks are Christians so they took me along uh, to, to church from year dot really and um, uh, and so I became a Christian when I was quite young I was seven years old um, and you know from that point I, I never I never really looked back actually so I so for a number of my friends who became Christians when they were young they had that story of you know they went off to uni they turned away from God maybe in their 20s they came back maybe they didn't um, but that never really happened to me. Well, of course, I made plenty of mistakes and, you know, did things that I shouldn't have done and, you know, all of, all of that kind of stuff. But I never I, I, I never lost my faith and I never stopped pursuing God. Uh, and when I look back and I, and I ask myself, well, why was that? Um, I, I, I have so much to thank both my parents and, and the local church I was brought up in, in my hometown of Exeter for, because for them, um, God wasn't just someone to be talked about he was somebody to know uh the 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 power of god wasn't something that happened in in the scripture it was something that happened now and so it 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 was part of the fabric of life and the fabric of our church life that you would hear from god and that you would uh, prophesy uh it was it was part of the fabric of our church life that you would um, pray for people to be filled with the spirit and they would be filled with the spirit and i I think that's the reason that I didn't have that period of turning away from God because there was a, f- a foundation which was rooted um, as the Apostle Paul said um, not in man's wisdom but in God's power he, he said didn't he, my, my message and preaching are not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith would not rest in man's wisdom but on the spirit's power and i feel like that's that's what it was and that was a strong foundation for me so i had a fairly steady discipleship from that young age i think and what was your earliest memory of church my earliest memory of church i remember the the church uh, never had a building uh, so it used to meet in schools and i think probably my earliest memory uh, of the church is just literally running around in the playgrounds of the schools you know after the services with all the other kids that were the part of the church it was a big family church lots of little kids and I was a little obviously a little kid at the church so I think I, I, I can I've got traces in my mind where I can picture the playgrounds and the running around and, and you know the playing football and all of that stuff and what was it like being a teenager in your church it was good actually yeah we had some great youth workers uh, they they weren't afraid to talk to us about the big issues. They were available to us. I, It's funny because now, obviously, being in youth work uh, and understanding that as a ministry, I didn't think of them as youth workers. That wasn't like a, a concept that I grasped, really, at the time. I just thought of them as, as friends and mentors, really. And so we were quite quite close and, yeah, shared, shared things together. And it, it was at such a time where there was, I guess, quite a lot of fire and passion in amongst my friends who were in the youth group so um you know we we really pursued god together and, and we wanted to see see god use us and we and we and we, and we were seeing people become christians and all of that kind of stuff so it was a good it was a it was a good experience of being in a youth group yeah and if you could tell your teenage self one thing what would it be yeah you know i think i think as i've gone through my life 
maybe the maybe the kind of the the lesson that I've personally owned the most is is that the greatest things in life are always the ones that cost you the most um and that's how it is with choosing to follow Jesus isn't it it's it's the most costly choice but it's definitely the best one but I think that's true of of so many things as I look back over the the course of my life the greatest adventures that I've had the most memorable experiences in my life uh, the things that I'll look back on and I'll never forget they've been the ones that also cost me the most I don't mean financially I might mean in terms of energy in terms of effort in terms of sacrifice in terms of being uncomfortable they're the ones that that cost the most they 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 take the most out of you but they also pour the most back into you so I, I think I think I'd say Tim the greatest things in life they're going to be the ones that cost you the most so don't shy away from from the cost um, we're going to definitely come on to more about youth work once yeah. we start talking about limitless but should we talk about music okay let's do that so when did you start getting interested in music well I started playing the drums when I was 10 I don't know my parents just got me drum lessons I guess and um, and I loved it and it kind of went from there really you know so I did all of my grades and you know when I was in a in, in school did a little kind of school band and you know we wrote some songs and uh, and kind of took it from there and when I finished uh, school I um, did a national diploma in popular music at college and I absolutely loved that and uh, and thereafter went went to to Nexus, and then from there was was in a band for a number of years after that as well. So yeah, so I guess it probably started when I was ten playing the drums. And at what point did your interest in music cross over with with your faith? I think I think always really. Um, again, probably I've got a lot to, to thank my church and my parents and my youth group for. In that faith, and God was always. I didn't know anything else other than that being central to my life. It, it was never an add-on. It was never a God is for Sundays and, you know, music and school and whatever else. That's something else. That's something separate. I, I, I guess I was always taught and raised that, that God would permeate everything. And so it was very naturally the expression of, of, of my passion for music and for drumming in particular that that would, that that would, be, would be part of my faith. And, of course... Um, you know, being a young Christian musician, inevitably you end up on the worship team, don't you? <laughs> so, so I was, uh, and, and again, grateful to my church. And maybe this is one of the reasons I stayed in church as well that that they that they asked me to play drums from from a very very young age. And I'm not too convinced that my drumming was particularly helpful for the others in the congregation at that time, but it was certainly helpful for me in the kind of longevity of staying in church and, and wanting to be there and being part of that worship team was really key for me, yeah. And you went on to study at the Christian Music College Nexus. Um, what was that like? It was wonderful. It was a really uh, formative year in my life, uh, and I'd speak really highly of it. Um, a again, we just had a very passionate year group. Um, we would be up early uh, in the prayer room we would be holding our own uh, prayer meetings that weren't organized by Nexus but just because we we wanted to go deeper into God just in our houses a great time and really a, a formative time and I learned a lot about myself and um, who God had made me to be and so the culture was forgive me for the cliche but I'd say the culture at that time in the year group I was in was was very much iron sharpening iron in that uh, we were challenging each other but by by making the most out of the year by getting up early to go to the prayer room by by doing our, uh, our hours of practice that we were uh, you know and some more that we were asked to do each day uh, by doing all of our Bible reading notes, by doing the best on our papers. Uh, as you saw others doing that, it would inspire you to do that. As you did that, it would inspire others to do that. And so I think we set quite a high mark for each other at that time. And so we really, I think we really squeezed the juice out of the year. It's, it's, I think, you know, Nexus is the same as Regents, where I work is is the same as everything else. Is it's, And it is 100% true to, to say that you get out of it what you put into it. And I think as a year group, we put a lot into it. And um, so we got a lot out of it. It was a great year. Why do you think a Christian music college that's specifically Christian is so important? Uh, because I think that, um, I, well, I think there's a couple of angles on that, really. I think... I think that we need more and more 
Christian musicians, yes, but but artists, actors, performers, business people, teachers, to know how to do do ministry in the public sphere, um, at, but particularly in those places of influence, be that politics, be that music, be that media, um, uh, where we we won't just have our own kind of subculture that only only Christians participate in, but actually we'll have a voice, a prophetic voice. And music is a way to do that. And so I think it's really important to train musicians to have a prophetic voice in the public sphere, but also to, to train us how to how to worship through song and how to lead others to, to worship through song as well. Obviously remains a, a key tenant of the church. And so to continue to train people to do that is important. And there you met Dweeb. How did that come about? Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, before, before I went, I decided that I was going to start a band. As I mentioned, like drums was my first instrument. And uh, when I went to college and did a, a national diploma in popular music, I did a couple of things. One was that I got free guitar lessons. So I started learning to play guitar. And the other was that we, we had this little jazz residency in the pub next door. So every Thursday lunchtime, with pretty much nobody in the pub, uh, we would go in and we'd do a little jazz gig um, with the college students. Um, and and as well as drumming, I'd, I'd sing a few standards or whatever. But going to Nexus, I was doing the drum course. I was doing the drum program. And I thought, I actually want to keep I want to keep going with the singing and the guitar. I want to just keep practicing that and, and getting better at that. So I thought, just for a bit of fun, I've never done it before. I'm going to start a band where I, I sing and, and play guitar. And I'd already decided to do that f- before I went. So basically, I let a few weeks go by, watched a few of the live playing workshops where all the musicians went through, I found out who all of the best people were and asked those people to be in my band. <laughs> so basically, I wasn't very good at guitar and singing, but all the people in the band were incredible. So uh, so they made me look better than I was. Um, uh, and, and so that's how we started. But it was only it was only ever supposed to be just a little bit of fun, put into practice what we were learning at Nexus, maybe play a few gigs in some of the pubs in Coventry or the rock clubs or whatever. It was only ever supposed to be for a year. That's all it was supposed to be. We had, I had a place at university afterwards doing music. A couple of the other guys had, had plans as well. But God had different plans, I guess. And you got signed, though. Yeah. So yeah. Well, we um, yeah. After a time, so so so, I guess the story was that during the course of the year, God began to speak to us about actually you need to lay down your places at university because I'm asking you to do this as a ministry now, which at the time was hugely hugely scary. And um, but and, and so it took us a while, but we got there in the end, and uh, and eventually we were obedient and said yes. And so we just gigged as hard as we could, and we released a couple of EPs just off our own back. Then. For our first album, we we signed with a small uh, independent label called Risen Records, and those guys were so so good to us. There was a real community around that label, uh, and they really invested in us, and we were really grateful to them. And then for our for our second release, um, Feels Like Dynamite, we signed with Fierce, who were part of Kingsway, um, and that that record came out un- under them. Yeah. And what was life like recording an album? Uh not as glamorous as it sounds <laughs> so um we toured a lot we gigged really 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 hard all over europe uh which at first was was just wild but then um obviously as we got older and and uh start getting into relationships and some guys in the band started to get married and eventually before we finished we were all married that started to become tougher being away from home being away from family trying to balance all of that stuff was 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 challenging for sure but we loved it don't get me wrong we loved playing in different places and and meeting different people and seeing different countries and it was a a wonderful wonderful experience um but not without challenge uh and, and the songwriting thing well, we 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 argued a lot in the practice room, uh, but because we cared, because we really really cared about it, and actually, um, it, it did enable us to 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 really get the best out of our songs. I think, um, but but it was sometimes quite a painful process writing the songs. Recording was always good fun as well, but but again, there would have been there would have been tensions about. Uh, uh, how we wanted the mix to be or what we wanted in terms of the production and all of that kind of stuff but just, which we cared about it you know we were passionate about it and so uh, uh it, 
it was it was a painful process at times, but also a really fun process at, at the same time. Greatest things in life are always the ones that cost you the most. What would that process look like? Where did song go from just lines on a page to being? Yeah, okay. So the way we used to do it was we, um, all of us would write. Um, um, we, we would come to uh, a rehearsal with the seeds of an idea. So we might have a riff or we might have a, a, a chorus um, uh, or we might just have a groove, some lyrics uh, or anywhere from the seeds of an idea and sometimes that like a, a full song that had just been written on an acoustic with the vocal. And then we would take those ideas and then we would craft them together. So we'd arrange them together, we'd change the melodies, we'd take sections out, we'd add sections in. Uh, and, and as a band, as a group, we would form that into the in, in, into the finished song. We'd gig that a bit. Sometimes we'd make changes to the to the track, having gigged it, um, uh, and then we'd take it to the studio. And which would you prefer, studio time or gigging? Oh, gigging. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Because the reason we were doing it, um, as much as we love music and music was important to us, and it was a, you know expression or an overflow of the heart. Um, the reason we were doing it was to share Jesus and um, there was nothing like you know getting you know getting into a, a room full of people playing songs and and sharing Jesus and and we would do that wherever we went we, what we tried to do is we didn't have like a set uh, a set agenda of we're gonna say this we always had a, a space uh, a space within the set where we knew we'd say something uh, and, and sometimes that would be as little as, well, this song is about, and we'd explain something of our faith, uh, or it would be as much as a full mini gospel talk and an appeal, and we would often do appeals and see people come to faith in that way, and, and anywhere in between that. But we'd, we'd, what we would do is, before every show, we would ask God, what do you want to say to these people and so it would look different from gig to gig. Touring must have been incredibly intense. Yeah. How did you manage life on the road? We we were best friends um, but it's probably more accurate to say brothers <laughs> not blood brothers but our relationship was like brothers so we loved each other uh, intensely um, but we wound each other up big time as well. Uh, so uh, so yeah, just lots of time in the road, in the van, driving around. Um, and how did we ma how did we manage it? I don't know. I think we just went from 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 show to show and thought, wow, what a privilege it is to be doing this. Literally, we're living a dream. It had been a all of, for all of us. It'd been a dream to do stuff like that, and we were we were we were living it. So e even in the times where it did get intense and it did get difficult, and we you know we butted heads and didn't see see things the same way uh you know still we knew that that it was a gift to be doing what we were doing and we were grateful to god for it and and tried to honor him with it and your favorite venue of all the gigs you played is there one? Oh, that's that's tricky um we had a little bit of a love affair with slovakia um weirdly uh we went out there loads and loads of times we did two two week tours in Slovakia there was a festival out there called Campfest um which was a big festival that that we loved playing uh, we felt we had a great rapport with the people there uh, and there was another one in, in Sweden called Frison uh festival which we really loved that one as well so it'd probably be, be between those two yeah and you were on uh, a reality tv show yeah called singing with the yeah. enemy uh, would you like to explain the concept of that show so the concept was that they were it was a series and each episode would feature two bands and and the idea being that these two bands would be very very different from one another uh because of their genre or because of their belief system or the thing that drove them or motivated them as 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 a band so the idea was to li to live with them in the house to write and record and finally perform a song together and obviously this would all be filmed by the BBC and put out on national television uh, so so yes we were approached on obviously on the basis that we were Christians that we were a rock band but we were doing it because we wanted to share our faith uh, the band that we were in the house with were called Paparazzi Whore <laughs> and, they, and they described uh, themselves as sleazy punk rock that was their their description and um the twist in the tale was that um uh, mickey who was the lead singer was married 
to Chris, who was the bass player, but also at the same time in a relationship with Susie, who was the vocalist, another vocalist in the band. And obviously the intent of the producers was that they'd put us in, in a house together and sparks would fly and everybody would hate each other and it would make great TV. But that isn't how it turned out. <laughs> um, yeah. So what what eventually ended up happening uh, was that we got on with them really well. Uh, we wrote a half decent song, I guess, together. It was all right. Um, we found a, a kind of middle ground. Um, and uh, but the the real incredible thing that happened was that when they came to our gig, we we went to one of their gigs where they were there were strippers. So that was awkward. So we we left so that we couldn't see it, um, uh, and that caused some that caused an argument between their band, uh, not between them and us. Uh, uh, and then they came to our gig, and I read a little bit from Romans Eight, and Susie, the backing vo vocalist, had a real encounter with the Holy Spirit. Um, she was into New Age spirituality, so she described it in using some of that language in a, in a in a way that she could understand, but her words were, it felt like I was falling in love for the first time. Um, and she ended up leaving the band, their band, Paparazzi Whore, during the show uh, and asking if I want to find out more about this Christianity stuff, how do I do that? She said to them when we went there, you know what, I, I actually feel like I'm more like the guys in Dweeb than I am like you guys their their kind of relationship broke off and, and, sh and she left the band she left the TV show during it all happening so it was amazing and of all the things we did that was probably the thing that had the 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 greatest impact we had people write to us afterwards who'd become Christians because they watched the show we had people who had had encounters with the Holy Spirit um, in their living rooms watching the show we had people who were Christians just saying thank you for finally a positive representation of Christianity in the media. We had people, we, we even had people who were gay write to us and say thank you for the way that you that you dealt with that. It was amazing and we had our fair share of abuse as well as you, as you might want to imagine but comparatively very very small and um, we put ourselves into a really kind of risky position, but we believed that God ha had asked us to do that. We had loads and loads and loads of people praying for us, and God really, really used it. And, um, you know, again, this is the greatest things in life are always the ones that cost you the most, because it was really hard going, being like constantly filmed for nine days, just feeling the pressure of like, this is going to be on national TV. Everybody who's a Christian is going to be watching this and judging, you know, if, we, if we're representing well or, or, or not. Judging's probably not the right word, um, but they will be concerned that we're representing well. Uh, uh, and God was just exceeded our expectations. But the greater the risk, the greater the reward. And did you get much say over the final edit of the show? None at all. None at all. Um, yeah, and so, so there was a moment, so I mentioned earlier that when we went to their gig, that there were strippers at the gig. Um, and what happened in that moment is for the start of their show when they were playing, we were at the front, we were cheering them on, you know, we were supporting them, we were into the gig. Uh, then the strippers came on and it, it was like an L-shaped bar. So, so, so we left the front, we went round the corner so we could hear the music but we couldn't see the stage. And we were really concerned when that finished because of course they could have cut from a stripper on stage to us at the front cheering. They could have cut that. Um, and that would have been the end of the end of what we were doing forever, like if that had gone out. And so obviously we were saying to the producers during that you, you, you have to show this as it happened. And, and thankfully they did. And actually whilst um, the, the timeline of, of how everything panned out on the final edit of the show wasn't exactly accurate the narrative was uh, and so they did cut it quite faithfully to be fair to them I guess eventually the band decided to to break up uh, was that an easy decision to make I wouldn't describe it as an an, an easy decision uh, but it was a unified decision so 
the way it happened is we we were on tour actually in Slovakia. It was one of those two weeks tours in Slovakia. Um, about a year uh, before we finished, uh, almost almost exactly, and um, I wasn't praying. I wasn't asking God about it, but just out of the blue, like clear as day, God said to me, "I want you to put." dweeb on the altar like Abraham did with Isaac uh, I want you to do one more year these are the things that I want you to do and then I want you to finish and I was like wow okay it's just like a bolt for, I, I, that's rarely happened to me in my life only on a couple of occasions have I heard from God like that but it was as clear as day and where did this is how it happened this so it's so uh unspiritual you're gonna be so disappointed the name dweeb come from the pub <laughs> a load of us went to this pub down the road from nexus called the albany and the barman gave me the wrong drink and i thought oh, i'll be all right um so i just went back and gave it to him i said i'm oh, really sorry mate i think he misheard it and he gave me this and he said what a dweeb and i said that's what we should call the band uh, but i think it reflected us quite well because we were quite zany and like we we you know we we light-hearted and we love to have a bit of fun so <laughs> tim is back with us after the break with some more of his life's journey it was 50 years ago when young missionary jackie pullinger left london and got on a boat to hong kong determined to share god's love with those in need miracles followed now she's challenging the church to get on with the job my message is always the same it's how to get us sure enough of God's love so we can go out and share it with the lost. Read the full interview with this inspiring evangelist exclusively in Premier Christianity magazine. This is very short life and eternal life is forever. We're going to feel all stupid if we wasted this one. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. You're listening to The Profile. I'm Emily Howarth from Premier Youth and Children's Work. We're continuing with Tim Alford, formerly of Dweeb, now head of Limitless, the youth wing of the Elim Churches in the UK. So a big thing um, for Dweeb was being mainstream, um, but honest about your faith. Yeah. Was that a difficult balance to achieve? Um... It wasn't a difficult balance to achieve because it's who we were and because we knew that that is what God had called us to do. And often people said to us, um, uh, because we played the Christian events and festivals uh, in the UK and around Europe, but we also played rock clubs, venues, um, you know, just mainstream venues. And um, and so we kind of attacked it from, from both angles, if you like. And people often said to us, um, if you do the, if you try and do both, you, you'll never, um, you'll never get accepted in terms of the mainstream. You'll, 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 you'll not get very far in terms of that thing. And we knew that that was true. And we knew that that was right and, and based, um, uh, and based evidence-based. But we knew that that's what God asked us to do. So we just did it. And that, that balance, is that something you see at the minute in the Christian music scene? No. Um, you don't see... You don't see a lot of bands in the UK doing now what we were doing then. At, at that time, there was a load of them doing that kind of thing, um, who we were on the road with and uh, would play at various um, uh, events with. But But now it seems that um, and to be fair the caveat to this is I'm not as plugged into that scene as I was so there may well be things going on that I don't know about so I should say that but how I see it now is you see either worship bands or you see kind of schools bands who do schools ministry um, uh, but what you, you don't see a lot of uh bands i don't think you might you might correct me doing doing what we would, were doing in terms of uh you know being performance based bands but doing um ministry in the clubs and in the pubs and and you know in the venues and that kind of stuff i don't i don't see a, a great deal of that now 
Um, what do you make of uh, characters like Bieber and Stormzy being so open about their faith? Yeah, um, well, uh, what do I think? Uh, uh, on the one hand, I think it's great because they're influencers. And like we were saying earlier, we need, we, need, we need influencers who are Christians and who uh, are really following Jesus and who really love Jesus uh and but are, are doing it uh are doing it in the marketplace in 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 the mainstream if you like uh, not just in a christian subculture uh so i think that's great and um you know the the whole thing of bieber at coachella uh leading worship that whole thing went viral didn't it and i thought that was brilliant i love that and we and we know that um, he's, you know, he's good friends with some of these kind of American pastors like your Carl Lentz's and your Rich Wilkerson Juniors and uh, and all of these guys. Uh, and he's he goes along to the Hillsong conferences, doesn't he? And he's plugged into that scene. So I think that's wonderful. I think that's great. Um, uh, and it's it's great for youth workers to be able to share some of that stuff with our young people. Maybe they're maybe they're believers. And, and Stormzy, you know, the whole blinded by your grace thing and all of that, brilliant. I mean, it's fair to say that the album is not necessarily uh, something that I'd want my children to listen to. <laughs> yeah, the lyrics aren't exactly PG, are Exactly, they? <laughs> yeah. And my kids are four and two, so <laughs> that would not be appropriate. Um, but, um, yeah, so there's a there's a bit of a thing in me which thinks that's a bit of a dichotomy to have a, a Blinded by Your Grace and then some of the other tracks on, on the album don't quite seem to dovetail to me. Um you know, but I'm not here to be critical, and I I I think that you know, blinded by grace, and uh, you know, everyone is working out their faith journey, aren't they? Better that he's putting that in his tracks than he's hiding it for sure. And where did your life go post dweeb? We'd planned to finish a year ahead, so it gave us some time to process that, uh, and to ask God what He was, what He was calling us to do. Um, and it's it's kind of a funny story in that uh, what I went to an open day at Regents Theological College just to see about is this something that I would think about doing but just felt like God said no uh, and I was almost a little bit disappointed but the weird thing was that by the third year that I would have been on the course as a student I was teaching it and if you had told me that when I'd gone to that open day I would have laughed I would never I would never have conceived of it I never would have believed you but God works in mysterious ways doesn't doesn't he so it ended up being that for for a couple of years um, I worked with an evangelist called Mark Greenwood who's now Elam's national evangelist at the time he ran his uh, a ministry uh, a charity called the 43 trust and so I learned much from him He's a wonderful human being um, and he's now in the office next door to me at Elam so I'm still a good friend uh, uh, and then after a couple of years of working with him, I, I got the phone call from from John Glass, who was at the time the the general superintendent, the boss of the Elam movement, uh, asking me if I'd consider uh, overseeing the the national youth ministry. Yeah. And before we get on to Limitless, yeah. what kind of stuff were you doing with Mark? Uh, so it was evangelism. So we wrote evangelistic courses that we would deliver at churches for invitational events. So I had a course called Big Questions. Uh, that that young people or students or or adults that could work across the ages actually would be able to invite their friends to. We were doing training in personal evangelism, so uh, like boot camp type of things where we might do five weeks in a row training people how to share their faith. Uh, and um, more so him than me, uh, we would help uh, churches form a strategy for evangelism. Where did that passion for youth work for young people come from? Well, I, um, I, in the in in the years of of being in the band, obviously we were doing loads and loads of work with young people, um, not just in terms of performing at youth events. So there was lots of that. We were we were also on team on, on a number of occasions at Spring Harvest and you know leading youth small groups and doing all of those kinds of things, um, uh, and then over the the two years with Greenwood I was speaking at a, a lot of youth events so I I can see how God was setting me up for what I was doing now because what I got to do was I got to see youth ministry in loads of different contexts different nations different denominations um, small medium large uh, and so I 
it, it gave me a real understanding of the spectrum of youth ministry and what that that could look like but what I'd never done actually was been the youth leader at a local church and and that was one of my main questions when 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 I was asked to to do the limitless role although it was called serious for God at the time um, was how I'm, I'm not qualified for this um, and so it was really important to me it, cutting a long story short that eventually when I when I did get into it it was important really important to me that I was doing local church youth ministry at the same time and so um, the church that my wife and I were worshipping in didn't have any youth ministry uh, and just had one young person there so we grabbed a few people from the church and, and a few students from the Bible college uh, we got connected in with the local schools I'd done loads and loads of schools work over the time with Dweeb and with Mark I'd done loads of schools work so I was kind of okay with that stuff you know assemblies and RE lessons and all of that business uh, and we got into the schools we made some connections and we launched out a new youth ministry uh, for our church in Malvern uh, and for uh, two and a half years I was leading that youth ministry but at the same time I was raising up a, a leader alongside me who I've now handed that over to and uh, so now I get to serve on her team so I'm still doing local church youth ministry every week but she's leading it now and I'm on her team rather than she being on my team which is great. <laughs> And what does a normal day look like in Limitless? Ah, I mean, it's hard to say, really. Uh, it could, It's so varied, which is something that I love about it. Um, so it could be that I'm teaching at our Bible college programme. It could be that we're we're planning our, our, our events, the Gathering, Limitless Festival. Uh, it could be that I'm meeting with our leadership teams. Uh, it could be that I'm out and about travelling, speaking at local churches, speaking at youth events. Summer is obviously a very, very busy period. I, I tend to be round and about at the different summer festivals uh, so it could be that I'm writing talks uh, it could be that I'm uh, fulfilling some of my wider Elim responsibilities with the other heads of ministry uh, in the movement uh, or it could be that I'm here at, at Premier speaking to you it's really really varied so it's hard to say what an average day looks like to be honest what is your least favorite thing to do in your job my least favorite thing is organizing the events um, because it's it's so hard it's it's a real grind um, and the pressure of it is massive. When you've got tens of thousands of pounds or more uh, that are riding on that you're that you're risking uh, and you're and the and the risk is are the people going to show up and pay for their tickets to, to pay for it D during the process there are often times where I go oh man I, is it is it really worth it but then you get there and you see young people encounter Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit and you see young people become Christians and you see young people gathered together and just lost in worshipping Jesus and you go it's worth it it was serious for God yes how did the name change come about when I first came into the role one of my primary responsibilities I felt was to get a real clear understanding of who we were and what God was calling us to do. During that process, we came to some clarity over that. God began to speak to us uh, about some things. And we came to 2015, which was Elim's centenary year as a movement. And God began to speak to us in that time about opening the door to the next 100 years as he wanted us to go on with our faith high, with our expectancy high. It, it was beginning to become clear to us that um, that Serious for God as as an as a name um, wasn't enabling us to communicate the thing that we wanted to communicate, and so be began a process of of talking with our teams, of of praying, of seeking God. We had I, I remember we had a day where we had a brand consultancy expert come in, and we had all of the flip charts all on the wall, and all of these exercises, and all of this stuff, and nothing came out of that. And we were over with our team. Uh, in Ireland we began to pray together one evening and one of the girls Sarah on the team in Ireland she began to pray and she said God I, I thank you that you're a limitless God uh, I thank you that the plans that you have for our young people is, is limitless I thank you that the, the potential that our young people have in you is limitless and she kept saying this word and it was this amazing moment where the team just be began to sit up on the edge of their chair and 
people were opening their eyes and they were looking round at each other and were nodding. And it was just in this moment we knew that's what God was saying. We knew that that that, that is what God was proclaiming over us. And so Limitless uh, uh, as a name, it wasn't about a rebrand. It was about announcing a new season. And so at the gathering in 2016, we launched that out. Um, and it was a wonderful moment. Yeah. And you're a very natural um, preacher. Uh, what is it do you think that makes a good preacher? It's interesting that you say like you're you're a very natural preacher, and uh, uh, yes, I I do think I've got like a spiritual gift which God's put in me, but I've also worked really really hard at it, and I've I've I've, I've watched preachers, I've watched I've listened to myself back, I've I've read books about preaching, I've learned things from those, I've tried to put them into practice, I've I've read talks not uh, read books not just about preaching but about communication, about TED talks, about and, and I'm constantly learning and and working on that um fanning into flame i guess the gift of god that's within me and so uh so yes the, 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 i i do have a, a gift for it i guess but it, it, I, it is important to say i guess to, to to youth leaders or communicators who are listening that sometimes you can see someone who's speaking at soul survivor or whatever which i was very privileged to do this year and think oh wow you know um a great speaker or whatever but you've just got to start with what you've got um, and you've got to put it into practice and and you've got to be hungry to learn and get people around you who are who are great preachers and um, ask them to watch you and then say, tell me, tell me, uh, hey, when I was speaking at Soul Survivor this summer, I've been preaching for a long time. Um, I said to Ali Martin, Ali, I would love it if, because uh, I was preaching in the morning and the evening at, at um, at week A in Stafford and I said to her I would love it if you could watch me with a critical eye and you could tell me um, what where you think I could improve now actually as it turned out I had diarrhea and vomiting on that day <laughs> so I just got in the car and went home as quickly as I could <laughs> so that's another story <laughs> for another day but at Sourcewife Scotland I was speaking at Sourcewife Scotland and Mark Ritchie who's an excellent communicator phenomenal communicator he texted me after he saw my talk and he texted me after he said great job Tim I said oh mate did you see it will you meet me for breakfast tomorrow and tell me where I could do it better you know, so you've got to continually be seeking to learn and improve your craft. I know that's not the question that you asked me, uh, but, but but what makes a great communicator? It is true. Somebody who's really hungry to learn and to grow and to reflect and to improve on their practice. Um, nobody, nobody is incredible at, at, on day one. And it's so easy, especially with our kind of social media saturated world, to compare your starting point to someone else's ending point. Uh, so so put it into practice, start with what you've got, um, get people around you who will watch you, who, who will be able to give you some constructive criticism, tell you what was great, tell you where you can improve um, and just, just do it as much as you can. But I think passion, I think clarity is really important. Um, I think that preparation is really important. Uh, make sure you know what you're going to say before you get there. Um, it's a, I think it's a misnomer to say that um, if you've prepared your talk really well, then the Holy Spirit can't speak because the Holy Spirit can equally speak to you in your preparation time as he can to you in, in the moment. Um, so I think prepare really hard, study really hard. So clarity uh, is really important. Passion is really important. And revelation is really important. Um, it's easy for me to, you know, listen to my favourite speakers and regurgitate what they say, and maybe put in some of my own stories. Um, and inspiration is a good thing, but but revelation is is really where where it comes from. So so what makes a great communicator? Somebody who who will spend time in the presence of God, and will spend time in the Word not just to prepare a message but will spend time in the word because because they're a christian and in those times where they open up the word and they spend time with jesus they hear from him and and some of those times then do inspire their preaching but they they didn't open the bible just to prepare their talk they open their bible just to hear from god so revelation is really important as well I, I, we, we, we could go on but i'll leave it there <laughs> what do you think the church needs to know about this generation um I think that this 
generation is discontinuously different from the generations that have preceded it um, and I think that that comes with some significant challenges um, but I think also with some real opportunities in terms of challenges I would say I think that perhaps the greatest challenge is um, we talked a little bit earlier on about the whole thing of the age of authenticity um, but this whole thing of truth being relative to the individual and in terms of the age of authenticity what the individual feels so you might have a different truth to me um, and uh, you might have a different set of values to me um, and those values though different and perhaps even conflicting are equally valid and true well that doesn't make a great deal of sense but the the real issue is because it's the age of authenticity for me to say to you that what you believe isn't true and this is true um, is isn't just unpopular it's immoral and so to, because it's the age of authenticity to ask somebody to the call of discipleship is this whoever wants to follow me must what must they do they must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me that that in the age of authenticity is is immoral because I'm telling you that to follow Jesus you need to be willing to sacrifice on your authentic desires age of authenticity to deny yourself of what feels authentic to you that does not scan well with this generation um, but that is the cost of discipleship and that is the call to follow Jesus um, and so that I think is a challenge one area where I'd say there's a real opportunity though is I think we, we've got a generation who are passionate about and, and able to make a difference so I think it's a real entrepreneurial generation um, they don't need intermediaries anymore like teachers and, and, and libraries because if they want to find out how to, to do something to start something to make something happen then they just go on YouTube um, uh, uh, you know they're wi the Wi-Fi enabled generation aren't they so they can they can they can access information and they can put it into practice on their own so we're seeing I think quite an entrepreneurial generation who are able to who are who are able to take hold of some things and make things happen but but also they're, they're concerned about injustices. Uh, and uh, for, so let me give you an example of this. Uh, there's a, a girl in my youth group who wasn't a Christian, but she has become a Christian recently. Um, she's called Sophie and she's absolutely wonderful. Uh, she, before, this is before she became a Christian, she gives up her Saturdays to work at St. Richard's Hospice because uh, she's really passionate about that. Last Christmas, she felt really um, she felt really sick of the whole uh, kind of I guess consumerism that surrounds uh, Christmas so she made a decision that this coming Christmas she's not going to ask for any presents she's just going to ask people who would usually buy her a present to give her money which she's going to donate to the St Richard's Hospice she's passionate about making a difference she became a Christian recently um, she was uh, in uh, the city near us where we live which is Worcester uh, she got into a conversation with a homeless man, offered him the milkshake that she was carrying. Um, and here's, here's the able to make a difference bit coming up now. Um, she got into the conversation with this guy, told, told her his story, why he was on the street, how he wasn't able to get a job. She took a photo on uh, like a selfie of him and her on her phone, posted it to her Facebook page um, saying, this is his story can we help him get a job it went totally viral it had it got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sets 700 and something shares this is just sophie from malvern um hundreds and hundreds of likes hundreds and hundreds of comments it was picked up by the malvern gazette in our town and was published in the malvern gazette and then somebody got in touch with this guy and gave him a painting decorating job um so she's she was passionate about the homelessness of this guy in our conversation she she talked to him about her new face she'd given him some bible verses that had been given to her but but she she wasn't just passionate oh we should do something about that she was able to to use her social profile 
to take the initiative and to make the difference, surely that's an opportunity for the church. How did becoming a dad kind of change your outlook on life? Oh, wow. I mean, I mean it, it, it changes everything. It changes everything um, uh, in wonderful ways and in really, really challenging ways. Uh, I've learned a lot about the Father heart of God. I know probably dads would say that often. Um, but here's one thing I, I learned. Um, I've always found it really easy to experience the pleasure of God in my activity. So in the things I do for him. So when I'm working hard or when I'm accomplishing something, or when I'm out and I'm preaching, I found it easy to experience the pleasure of God over my life in those moments, but less so when I'm at home relaxing or going out for the run or, you know, doing those things I mentioned earlier. I've I found that more difficult. Um, uh, and so I guess that in those moments I've therefore felt discontent um, like I needed to do more for him and achieve more for him and accomplish more for him and take ground and all of that kind of stuff I guess and so in those stiller moments I've, I've had that feeling of discontentment but um, in becoming a dad I've learned something about that because my children are really active and noisy and they they're running around they're all over the place and they they doing they're doing 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 all the time doing and i do i do feel the the pride of 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 the father if you like I've, i i feel proud of them in those moments when they're riding their bikes or you know accomplishing something new tobias first day at school recently coming home with his work or a silver sticker because he got onto silver you know yeah yeah i do so i do feel pride over their activity but my favorite moment in becoming a dad wasn't any of those moments my favorite moment is that rare moment that i could snatch just after their nap time when they were still sleepy enough to be still and i could just wake them up a little bit early take them down onto the sofa and they would just rest on my chest and not do anything and that was the moment I loved the most as a dad and so what I learned from being a dad was that yes yes God's God is proud of me in my activity and the things I do for him and accomplish for him but the moment he loves the most is just when I'm still in his presence and so I've learned I've, I've learned how to be content to be still with him. You've been listening to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with Tim Alford and me, Emily Howarth, Deputy Editor of Premier Youth and Children's Work magazine.